Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 33 of Extra Lore, recorded live on December 6, 2018, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. As always, I want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at the series of Fallout. I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted. We just had a massive bit war happen, so I uh, appreciate, again, a big shout out to the live chat for that. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only Green-Eyed Music Lover. Green, I hope you're doing well. How has the week treated you so far? It's good. It's ending, it's ending strong. Like, my Friday started out kind of bleh, but... The chat and all the discussion and top three where we talk about bacon. It's just a good ending to the week. So I'm excited for this weekend. I've got something special, kind of my own like mini announcement here at the beginning. Something special that I'm working on that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks for you guys. With the help of a few FFC members who have been helping me out with this. But yeah, it's been good. That's, I don't know. I just... Yeah, I can't I can't complain. Nice. Well, rounding out the usual team, we have our good buddy, the lore content cop himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing? Um disappointed in myself. Why? Because Green, you reminded me of something. Why? I forgot to take advantage of one of the best options and best moments to do it. And that's to quote the Bacon Strips commercial. Oh my it's god! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you didn't do that. I am so. Disappointed I'm disappointed in, in you. I'm. I am. I'm, I'm just so disappointed my in shame. myself. <laughs> I'm just. I'm entirely disappointed in myself now for not for not quoting that. Like, bacon, all, for bacon, all of bacon, my bacon, fair bacon. YouTubers' wit, it's it's just it's over. Like that's it. I may as well just close up the one of my five channels and just move on. <laughs> just one of your five. <laughs> 
Wow, we've never even assigned you five. The most you've gotten from us is three. Well, I mean, we also have to take it. I mean, he he's right. He we didn't take into account his cooking channel and then the uh, oh, the bacon right, the right, bacon right, right. fanatics channel. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the bacon fanatics is that the one that's yep. like with the dog also like the your pet what is it Scooby? <laughs> uh, I mean, we could do that. Are you talking about Shadow? Oh yeah, Shadow. That's what it is. What? How do you get Scooby from Shadow? I mean, a dog that likes bacon, which is like I already told us to close down this chat for the night. Between the bit war that's happening over here, that's going to make people go broke, and now Green infuriating me or making me disappointed in myself, this is starting off great. I think we should redo this. <laughs> Turn it I'm around kidding. now, guys. I'm kidding, by the way, Leah. Let. Let's yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's move on. Anyway, anyway. Oh man. Well, uh <laughs> I know that everyone here read read that as me is looking forward to diving into the discussion. <laughs> so let's read through our standard intro notes and we'll get right into it. In our last extra lore episode, we took a brief look at Cyberpunk 2077. If you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up, please be sure to check out FocusFireChat.com for archives, articles, and links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat. If you don't mind, please rate and, if you can, review the show on iTunes, Podbean, or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy a podcast. Reviews in particular are extremely helpful as they help us show up on the charts and that helps others find the FFC community. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. With the Extra Lore series, we delve into a game series other than Destiny for a full month, giving the group a chance to get a feel for the other games that our community loves to play. As with the normal chat topics, Extra Lore is decided by the community through a monthly poll. After the month's discussion has come to an end, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the chat for those who were unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network, links of which can be found on our website. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. Extra Lore for December is going to be a discussion on the lore of Dishonored, so be sure to jump into the Discord server and weigh in. With all that out of the way... Where does everyone think that the best place to start is when we're looking for a really basic understanding of Fallout? Start and end after the first two games. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's where we can stop. That's just, that's it. That's it. Bethesda got the first, the, the after the first two games, Bethesda picked it up. All right, Tactics was in there too. But after the first two games, <laughs> say, Bethesda tactics, picked it up. Tactics was totally was in there. Tactics there was is... no no breath between those two things, by the way. Beard, Beard I might, mean, have, might have an opinion on this. <laughs> I might have opinions about uh, Bethesda as a company. But it well, just in and, particular, and to be fair, like this, Interplay, yeah. Interplay did a really good job, and that's kind of, and I mean, we were kind of talking about this before the show too. Is is Fallout is a game that has been around for twenty one years now. Uh, it was uh, first first released in ninety yeah. seven, so that's yeah, twenty one years. Uh, uh-huh. And that was, and Fallout arguably was a game that the first title that was released 
was a uh, a spiritual successor, I guess you could say, since they didn't technically have legal rights to do this. But it was a, te- a spiritual successor to an RPG that went by the name of Wasteland. Um, right. And that's where like a lot of like the Mad Max-esque um, aesthetics, which we'll kind of get into here in a second, um, that's where it kind of gets its inspiration from. Uh, and so it was, I mean, there's been, there's a very long history of the fallout series and over that history, it has changed hands of, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Hang on. I have this written down. It has changed hands three times for, as far as like a developer publisher is concerned. Now, as far as like pure developer, there's been four or five because there's a couple, uh, different, uh, side games that aren't considered really within the continuity of the actual overall series. I'll mention them, uh, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on them uh, because there's, as far as canonical content, there's not really a lot in them. Uh, but the the initial developer was Interplay Entertainment, which was from 97 to 2004. Uh, and then there was 14 Degrees East in 2004, and then Bethesda from 2004 to present. Now, also in there, you have Black Isle, uh, which was a, uh, a kind of a... There's, there's a lot of evolution as far as, like, breaking the fourth wall business-wise. Um, but that kind of goes to explain the the thematic changes in tone that you see within Fallout, Fallout 2, and especially from those two into Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, and Fallout 4. Um, there's a lot of different developmental... Uh, I, wouldn't, I really wouldn't call it like friction, but there's different approaches to the content. Uh, and that's and that's where you kind of see a change in the thematic presentation of them, which again we'll get we'll get into here in a second. Uh, but but yes, there there's a reason that it, it, this is like we were and again. This is something we were talking about right before the recording. Um, being per, like not even participating in, but like reading arguments about the continuity argument for Fallout, like as a series in a whole, is just bizarre. Like Fallout is one of those games that at the same time is super serious about some things. It doesn't take itself super seriously, uh, which is arguably one of the biggest problems with Fallout 2 uh, because there was a lot of like tongue in cheek references to pop culture uh, events at the time. And a lot, and there's a good number of people who argue that that is a problem with Fallout 2 because it detracts from the continuity uh, uh purity i guess you would say um and so there's there's like it's really hard to wrap you know this this title is 100 percent in the continuity it's so yeah it's 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 definitely again the game's been out for 21 years guys so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of a this is kind of this is kind of agreed to be canon but then you know who's developer at the time they were kind of the determining factor of what gets heaven forbid i use this word retconned a little bit um because we're we're seeing that with fallout 76 already uh fallout 76 just for the record it's sounding like it is pseudo canonical um now arguably that's because of the massive multiplayer uh component so there's a lot of open-ended events within 76 that 
even more so than the original RPG single player titles. Um, but one of the things that they did change with 76 was uh, so far is uh, Super Mutants and the Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, their storylines have taken a bit of a change to explain their presence. Uh, and again, we'll get into that with when we come down to the chronological order of the titles, because 76 does a does a really odd jump backwards in the series. Uh, and, and that's kind of it clarifies and also creates problems as as often prequels that are released afterwards do. Mm hmm. But um, really quick, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Sorry, just to interject on that. And uh, like the 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 problem is, unless you've got something where in the instance of like change of hands, if we mm -hmm. want to kind of call up that, uh, I will take Star Wars as the example here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we didn't have anything that was like fully con uh, canonized until it was put in Disney's hands. And at this point now, it was reviewed by several people in charge of story etc uh three times over through di three different copies signed and sealed in triplicate to ensure that that is the full-blown canon versus what the writers that have now changed hands about 20 times over have now needed to look back into their overall uh lore that they are adopting and trying to make something out of what they had previously brought up. Which goes actually back to what Blue was talking about a little bit ago anyway. Why I kind of joke how the first two are really the only ones that really matter. I enjoyed the tongue-in-cheek kind of aspects of what Fallout were. Uh, and I don't see a lot of that in many of the newer titles that have been released. I know New Vegas played with it a little bit, but it didn't really go to like the degree that the other ones did. Uh, that's just what I like kind of personally liked about it. But in the same, when you're making something that's just like so made off of like uh, comedy like that, it does get kind of difficult. It, at least I would argue to say it gets a little difficult to actually bring into the fold, like what kind of story you're trying to create or what kind of uh, overall ideas you're trying to put together, I guess you could say, uh, if that does make sense. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to interject that a little bit. And the funny thing is, New Vegas is actually arguably that's exactly true because uh, going back to the topic of developers, that was mm -hmm. Obsidian, which is mm -hmm. a uh, if I remember off the top of my head, I might be incorrect here, but I believe that is a successor to Black Isle. It was, uh, or it was a component of, of the... Black Isle. It was like, yeah. So there, there's, but what I mean is like. The the reason why New Vegas is arguably kind of a callback to Fallout Two, and I, and we're, we'll get in. This is something we will get into because yeah. the uh, the storyline of New Vegas is like is it's kind of interesting the tie back into Fallout Two, um, but like that's the that's one of the predominant reasons a lot of people say New Vegas is so different uh, from Fallout mm -hmm. Three and Fallout Four, even though right. Bethesda was the publisher, it's because. New Vegas was uh, developed by Obsidian, not well, yeah, uh, we... what is it? Uh, Bethesda was it Game Studios? I think or no, Game Studios was Shelter. Yeah, uh, I was it say, was I think it's just uh, Bethesda proper. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember exactly, yeah. but I think it was just Bethesda proper. But even then, we see that with uh, with other Bethesda uh, products mm -hmm. oh, yeah. as well, Elder with Scrolls. like Doom and whatnot. Elder Scrolls as well. Doom is probably my favorite example of that, though. 
because we yeah. saw how things were with Doom 3, and <laughs> then when we ended up getting the new Doom out of 2016, and now we're getting the newer one with Eternal. Uh, like, there, there's just... Uh, is it Eternal? Yeah. Uh, there's just so many different um, different ways that they've kind of allowed their developers to create their games, which I've appreciated as a publisher from them. Uh, but in the same, it's obvious the ones that, at least I would argue to say, it's obvious the ones that are trying to stick back to what the original product was kind of like. Mm-hmm. And then it's obvious what Bethesda was making to try to be like, you know, look at us, we're edgy and cool and we have our bugs that everybody just calls features it's great <laughs> oh yeah we're i that's know a, that's, a, get that's, up a, at that's point. a tender subject with fallout 76 <laughs> uh, what's that what's that tender subject with any bethesda <laughs> game ever what? right a bug that deletes the entire game huh um <laughs> God, what a... Don't start like a, the beta. It might delete the it entire might, game. It might wipe <laughs> itself from your PC. Just a heads oh. up. That was that was the highlight of. Like, I work I work with a couple of people uh, who are who are playing Fallout seventy six and are who are really big fans <laughs> of Fallout. And that was I remember when I came in that morning. They were like, "So." <laughs> I was just I'm like I don't I don't have a response for that. I I don't think like, that qualifies as a bug. I think that that's a that's a full out error on on programming standpoints. But uh, like black flag and chats like it's bug out, out seventy six, yeah, yeah, not yeah, full oh out seventy six. Oh my god! But like I'm trying to figure out what's worse. Like on Steam, you'll get some of those developers that just don't even include the executable file. Oh I'm yeah! I'm trying to figure out what's worse, where like yeah. the executable file isn't given to you, or the game just deletes itself. Yeah. Like I'm trying to figure out what the paradox oh, is there, man. which is better. Like one that wastes your time, or one that doesn't have the executable file to even waste your time to begin yeah. with. <laughs> well, and the other and the other thing is is in this would be the kind of the ending of my of our rant on on the or i guess politics would be the best way to explain it. i don't really know the business <laughs> yes. side of it is that bethesda of all the of all the you know of all the developers out there you can see the development of bethesda through the through the iterations of like fallout and elder scrolls and mm-hmm. uh, you know you brought up doom they have they have changed and you know microsoft is doing the same thing now you know microsoft see you see microsoft really hitting hard on indie titles right now and they're they're bringing on like uh, uh what was it they brought on um oh god hellblade uh is it ninja ninja studios God, who? Yeah. Why did I just blame yeah. on that? Ninja Theory. Ninja Theory. Thank you. Uh, and you, so, like, they're they're bringing in all these indie titles, and they're giving them full reign. And you know, that's that is something that historically Microsoft has not been very prominent about doing. Bethesda was the same. Mm-hmm. Like, they 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 bought all these titles. Um, you know, you can get into arguments from a business standpoint on like you know the the morals of how they did that and all that but it's it's watching how bethesda has grown into bethesda game studios bethesda interactive you you have mm-hmm. you know you have uh softworks i think is now the the mother company of bethesda yeah. i believe um and 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 as in that development 
you see them also kind of segregating out their their different assets, uh, giving you know you have ZenWorks, you have uh, Interactive, the game studios, different different things going on, which which is ultimately in the benefit of the players because now we have you know we have a lot of different opportunities to play in different uh, different various mediums. I mean, you have Fallout Shelter, which I I know people who just love the hell out of that game and it is the silliest little mobile game um out there and to be fair that is the only fallout game i've ever played right no 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 but i mean like resource like the resource like development and like managing everybody it's it's amazing it's 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 a a, a lot of fun and that's game studios game studios did that that's them a hundred percent you know they they did it with the assistance of bethesda interactive but they released that at the same time that Fallout 4 came out. Like, I mean, so, mm-hmm. you know, before before I get I get grouped into the whole, like, ah, it's a business. Blah, blah, blah. It is a business. And this is the benefit of, you know, letting a business run its, do its course. Because as, as the business grows, um, I know AAA gets a lot of flack for a lot of different things. But one of the benefits of having a business like Bethesda or, you know, um, EA, you know, whatever, all these big companies, one of the benefits is, is that we do get more different forms of the same titles. Now, there's going to be missteps, you know, obviously, yeah, Brotherhood of Steel tactics, you know, it's, eh, you know, let's not let's not do too much of those. But you know, that's a learning opportunity. And I think that's really you see that again, with Fallout over the past two decades, you see that that's kind of part of that's almost part of the canon of fallout in and of itself right is that there have been kind of uh missteps and mistakes made that have given the opportunity for the developers of the time to learn from uh, mm-hmm. i mean the developers who originally brought out fallout don't even really exist anymore and that's also kind of you know breaking the fourth wall there that that's a that's a hard truth about about the entertainment industry in general that we also have to take into account. Um, One could say that somebody pushed the red button that said reset. Reset. It's almost... Oh, anyways. Uh, also so, nuke. Lights, oh, lots of nukes. There was a... There was a 27 anyways anyways let's get into this um the high level uh, so i, I kind of have a high level summary of fallout uh and really what it, the first thing that really sticks out for a lot of people is the aesthetics right fallout is aesthetically a game that takes place in a future that's inspired but why by what people in about the 1950s thought it would be uh so you have a lot of art deco themed vehicles you have architecture that's uh following googie what's called googie and ray gun gothic design uh you have computers that are designed on reel-to-reel technology which was a thing uh for those who think that they kind of made that up nope those that's that's kind of that was the view of things and then you also have the armor the power armor which has become very very uh important in fallout 4 and fallout 76 it was not a big component of of the series for the protagonist in earlier iterations, really. Um, So you have the armor that's reminiscent of uh, Starship Troopers and Wasteland in their bulkiness. And again, remember we we were talking about Fallout was a spiritual successor to the Wasteland RPG. So even and even the robots that are really prevalent throughout the series retain the feet that feel of the fifties in the clunky models. Um, you'll see that they are they're a lot larger in many ways than they need to be. There's not that sleek AI uh, what is it iRobot type you know feel to it. 
So throughout the series, there have been five full RPG titles. Uh, but along that comes a, a squad-based tactical RPG, which is Fallout Tactics Brotherhood of Steel, an action RPG Dungeon Crawler, which was fall, uh, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, and then a simulation game on mobile platforms, which we were just talking about, Fallout Shelter. Arguably, the canonical installments of the series are actually restricted to the RPG titles. However, there is still some back and forth that I had mentioned on how each of these titles is faithful to the original concept of the series. Uh, primary divisions tend to see Fallout, Fallout 2, and to a small degree, Fallout New Vegas as being along the same timeline, while Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 are in a way somewhat juxtaposed in events. It admittedly, this is, as we were just discussing, along the lines of developer different differences in the titles. So basically, though, the under, ultimately, the underlying theme of the post-World War II nuclear paranoia of the 1950s runs throughout all various titles. Uh, it's, it's in every single title of the series and serves as, if nothing else, a connection to the various aspects of the central idea of the Fallout uh, title and Fallout series. Uh, so, but I, I really want to stress here that you have to note that the game isn't the 1950s transposed into the future as much as it's just based on the vision of the future that was prevalent in the 50s. The reason it focuses in on the 50s is because that's the point of which is referred to as the divergent event. Uh, and we'll, we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Uh, but one prime example of this can be seen in the primary conflict being between the United States and China instead of the, the more common conflict that's seen in like today's kind of presentation between the U.S. and the USSR. Uh, as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as why that is, actually Steve, uh, Scott Campbell uh, he wrote a book about it called Origin to Fallout, No Mutants Allowed, which is a really, actually, really interesting book. Uh, but he went on a kind of record saying, quote, The nuclear Armageddon in the backstory was between the U.S. and China. After shipping, several people asked me why China and not the old standby of the Soviet Union. I made the choice when I remembered experiences with Oleg, the, a Moscow developer I worked with months but before when I was assistant producing a typing game. Once, in the middle of a phone conversation, I heard some muffled bangs and, on th and the phone went quiet. When I asked him what the noise was, he replied, Oh, it was just the Russian mob firing their guns in the street. I thought he was joking. He wasn't. After that, I had a really hard time believing that the once mighty USSR would be in a position to threaten the world anytime soon. So I turned to the next major communist country that typifies, quote, the East, China. And that's the end of that quote. Uh, so there are, of course, a number of variances, but the above is one of the more overt throughout the pretty much the entire series. Uh, another can be seen in the modification of the domestic pol the domestic politics of the United States, which by the year of 2077 in the series has seen the 50 unique states that we know of today having unified into what's called 13 super states, uh, which are also called the Commonwealths in game. Uh, and we're going to talk about that also in a bit. Uh, and I have one more big quote here. Uh, this is a really, actually, really well done overview, and I just basically stole this from Vaultpedia, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. Actually, I'll, I'm going to link a couple different uh, fan wiki sites for Fallout. Uh, I really encourage you, if you are interested in this overall story or just the differences in the games, to go check out Vaultpedia and The Vault are two really, really well done sites. Um, but Vaultpedia quote, or this is a quote from Vaultpedia, and states the following. 
Although events in the Fallout universe and the real world diverge around the mid-1940s, the defining moment of the Fallout universe was the Great War of 2077. Dwindling petroleum reserves led to a series of regional wars for resource control, and economies began to fold as nations were left without this vital lifeline. Alternate sources of energy were explored, leading to the maturation of nuclear fission technology, as well as various innovations in solar and hydroelectric power, and even nuclear fission, but none of these were sufficient to serve the global population's ever-growing needs. With the available reserves of crude oil in the world constantly diminishing, the communist government of the People's Republic of China declared war on the United States, invading Alaska for the few remaining sources of oil there. The Sino-American War raged for 11 years, eventually culminating in a nuclear exchange between China and the United States. Both nations had built up huge stockpiles of nuclear weapons, and the mutual attack drew in enemies and allies from all around the world, igniting every hatred forged throughout the century-long Cold War. Although the conflict lasted only two hours, the destruction it brought was staggering and complete. More energy was released in the early moments of the exchange than in all previous global conflicts combined. This global nuclear conflict came to be known as the, quote, Great War, end quote. The world that remained was harsh and unforgiving. Ninety years after the Great War, humanity struggles to survive. On the surface, bandits and organized gangs fought over the crumbling remains of, a once, of once great cities, and mutants prowled the irradiated waste. Underground, a fortunate few enjoyed the relative safety and comfort of the vaults designed before the war with the proclaimed purpose of protecting residents and their descendants from the nuclear annihilation. Some planned to keep the world out, others sought to connect with and repopulate the outside. Wherever humanity survived, it was under constant threat by ravenous mutants, rogue machines, vicious raiders, and all manner of hostile mutant creatures. Most of the events of the series took place in the United States. The first two games, Fallout and Fallout 2, were set in New California, the remains of the West Coast, in which the Master and the Enclave were the region's main threats. The third game, Fallout Tactics, took place in the Midwest, between the city of Chicago and Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. The fourth game, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, took place in northern Texas in the town of Carbon and the ghoul city of Los. The fifth game, Fallout 3, was set on the east coast of the United States in an area called the Capital Wasteland. This included the remains of Washington, D.C., parts of Virginia, Pittsburgh, and Maryland. The sixth game, Fallout New Vegas, took place in the Mojave Wasteland, which included parts of California, Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. Fallout 4 is set in Boston, Massachusetts metro area and includes notable landmarks in the city of Boston and the city of Cambridge as part of the Commonwealth. So end quote there. So basically to wrap up, um, I wanted to touch on the culture of the Fallout universe. And basically, in essence, this culture is what is envisioned in the 50s, uh, known to us as what what's called modern Americana. So although the subculture movements like hippie beatniks and punks were around, the movements never materialize as mainstream in the Fallout universe. In general, Fallout has a culture that is far more like egalitarian than the source material would imply, and it reflects modern sentiments and tendencies. So you, you'll see, uh, and this is prevalent in the genders, women fight alongside men, occupy positions of influence, and even serve in armies on equal terms for the most part. There are a couple factions that I will mention later that that is not the case, but the majority of them that's exactly the case. Uh, racism is conspicuously absent in all games, and this is replaced by hatred towards mutants. Uh, so that's either mutated humans, uh, ghouls, or the the ever common hatred is super mutants. Uh, so again, that's kind of uh, that's kind of a very brief overview of Fallout. 
beard green. Are there any questions that stand out before we dive into kind of a, a timeline piece? Not that I can really think of. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole idea with Fallout to begin with uh, is like I had said before, like somebody went and hit the reset button that said nuke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just in general, uh, anything that you were thinking of from the 1950s is now warped in some direction. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, well, it's like, you know, still a hundred some years later or mm-hmm. something but yeah yeah uh no i uh i think the timeline's the perfect way to kind of really start the the actual big discussions that i think mm-hmm. we're gonna have i agree because uh, right now everything i can think of is pretty well related to that mm-hmm. uh the overview is uh well, obviously I'm... important to know though right right mm-hmm. and i think a lot of discussion is going to be about the point of divergence and post-war Um, because I mean, really up until the point of divergence, the history of fallout is the same as reality. Um, you know, you have the great war, which is not the great, not the great war of 2077, but world war one and world war two occur. Uh, that's where, and that's where you get that kind of, uh, uh, mutually assured destruction, nuclear, uh, war paranoia that was very prevalent in the fifties. Uh, and, and that's like the cold war, all this stuff. This was very, very accurate to what was actually happening in reality. Right. Uh, the point, the point of divergence is estimated to be sometime within the 19, the late 1940s, early mid 1950s. Uh, and really the point is here is that that is where, uh, in the series, they kind of say we go this way instead of the way that reality went with the Cold War and everything of that nature. Uh, the Fallout series went a different way. And really, as far as Fallout's concerned, it, it actually stays somewhat parallel to our world there up until uh, up until I think it's like the, the 90s or even the 2000s. And that's where they hit the the issue with resources. Um, and that's where you start seeing a massive kind of Cold War between really China, the People's Republic of China, and the United States. Uh, and it, it it's just, I mean, it's a brutal thing. They There's massive conflicts between both of them. But it's always within the realm of Cold War. It's not. It's never actually escalated until I think it's 2066, which is the invasion of Alaska by the People's Republic of China, and that kind of kickstarts this huge uh, thing called the Sino-American War. Um, and really, the reason why that happened was again, like I had kind of mentioned in the the overview, like they. Humanity has been exploring all these alternative different uh, uh, means of energy, you know, the electric stuff, you know, nuclear fission. I mean, they had made nuclear fission a, a reality, which is huge. Uh, nuclear power in general was was becoming uh, more prominent. But even though, even so, all that, there was nothing to really replace the reliance on crude oil. And crude oil was, it was drying up, literally. Uh, and so what happened was in the winter of 2066, China basically literally 
invaded Alaska because it was one of the last major locations that had a uh, repository of crude oil. Well, of course, that was an act of actual war. And so United States kind of responded. And at that point, also, you have to understand that politically or uh, domestically within the U.S., uh, and I, I mentioned this a little bit, they had kind of they didn't secede, but they kind of unified all the different states into these commonwealths to assist with like different political agendas and stuff like that. Uh, you'll see this especially in the history if you want to delve into the history of uh, factions such as the Enclave. The Enclave is actually a remnant of the, the it's called, they basically refer to themselves as the shadow government that ran the United States prior to the Great War of 2077. Uh, they're actually referred to as the the survivors of the cabal that used to run that. Um, and the Enclave really was uh, part of the inspiration for Vault-Tec. Like, Vault-Tec itself is not a good company. Um, there's, there's we'll, we'll get into that probably a little bit later as well, because there's, you know, there's a whole different look at what the entire point of the vaults were. Um, and, and they were not as altruistic as they kind of were presented. It was, you know, a huge surprise there. Uh, but the Sino-American War ended on October 23rd, 2077. And this is the this is the event that's called the Great War of 2077. And this is the global thermonuclear event that took place, lasted for two hours, and set mankind back hundreds of years in technological, social, and, tech, and cultural development, as well as destroying all involved nations. Uh, it, it created global disruption of climate and a casualty count that is roughly in the billions. And again, One might say it caused the collapse. Yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, and and again, kind of going going into that, that's actually the the paranoia again that the fifties were having. You had theories such as mutually assured destruction, which is exactly what this was, uh, mm-hmm. and what and and for those who who might not be one hundred percent cognizant on what MAD is, MAD is basically a political theory in which you know if a a first world country goes to war with another first world country basically and and it escalates to a point where they actually are going to use thermonuclear devices um the fear is that because of the variety there are the various political ties and alliances throughout all these countries it will escalate to a point where there is no way to stop a global uh collapse and a destruction of this because everyone will then be resulting in attacking another person to defend or to preemptively defend themselves against that person. And when everyone in the world has a nuclear component, nuclear weapons, that is a very big problem. Uh, and so the event again here and it, and I mentioned it up there uh, in the summary is literally all of the energy that was released is pretty much all the global conflicts combined could not come close to the amount of energy that was released in the first part of two hours, which is just insane to think about in two hours. We destroyed everything culturally. And I mean, we, we pretty much it, the fact that the planet didn't crack is, is a marvel. 
I mean, quite frankly, there's a reason that we either have one nuclear deterrence today uh, or two also needed nuclear disarmament. Mm-hmm. Like the reason that we had to have so many yeah. acts and so on put into place mm-hmm. was to limit how many nuclear warheads it would uh, each country would have. I think they've said, though, it would only take like a, yeah. like maybe a, about 50 if... blasts in the right areas that we'd be done. Like if they right. went off yeah. in the same spot, it wouldn't take much. Like that's why disarmament well, was so important. Even it would take a 80s, lot. 90s. Yeah, it would take a lot, but that's how much power is stored within a thermonuclear device. I think Correct. would be a better. I mean, to to kind of well to clarify that to statement, what like they that's had that's as well. Oh my god, like, like that's, that's, that's that's the amount of power that's stored in those devices. I is, mean, it's yeah. it's kind of ridiculous how little it would take. That even though we have all these rules on it, it's still mm-hmm. going to take everybody out. Well, oh, yeah. And yeah. even even if that's not the case, like what they're describing here, of course, is like the nuclear blasts destroyed everything. What a good majority of scientists will claim today, at least by some degree, with mm-hmm. said 50 blasts, is that that's also a nuclear winter, mm-hmm. uh, as well as also uh, trade winds and so on, uh, causing nuclear disruptions throughout most of the rest of the land. Yeah. Uh, so just long story short, like it would not take much to abolish any and all life on Earth just based on those. Oh, things. yeah. The uh, so on that note, really, as a side as a side note, actually, uh, I don't know if any of you guys I don't I know you guys are active on Twitter, but any of our listeners who might be active on Twitter, I really encourage there's an account called Seeker and they have these like really cool little like two minute clips of like different things that then will lead into different conversations they just recently had one where they're talking about the revision of the uh the uh, meteor strike theory about the dinosaurs and they actually explain exactly what beard's talking about as far as like how how scientifically one meteor was able to do theoretically what it was what it was doing and 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 he's exactly right the the trade winds were a huge component of that because the impact itself was i mean the impact itself was immense but what happens as a result of those impacts is the way that the disruption of the climate and the creation of really and a really disruption of the global uh glass uh glass house effect uh, that the disbursement of all these particles into the air really create. And and that is also the name source of Fallout. When you talk about the Fallout series, kind of bring that back into the game, when you talk about Fallout, that's the nuclear Fallout. Uh, this is the explanation of why you have what's really the, the primary setting for the, the video games is the wasteland. The wasteland is exactly what Beard is explaining here. It's the thermonuclear winter that is a result of this massive release of radioactive um, destruction that happened. Uh, That's why, especially in Fallout uh, 4, which is the reason, the only reason I bring this up is because it's very fresh because I actually tried to play Fallout 4 and I be full disclosure i couldn't get past the hey let's play sim city um component love the story of fallout 4 uh Mm -hmm. can't stand the mechanics which just Mm -hmm. whatever um but part of fallout 4 more so than even in earlier iterations of the game that i remember uh it's very big on the radioactive uh you know like fallout 3 you kind of started to see this but fallout 4 really kind of 
kind of doubled down on it. Uh, based on where you're walking, there are radioactive spikes, and you have a built-in yeah. Geiger counter basically within your Pip Boy, which has always kind of been there. But Fallout Four, you actually get like severe like burns and stuff like that. Whereas in three, you kind of got damage. Four, you actually can see your character change, and you know that's kind of the technology evolution there as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Seventy six. 76 you see uh, a lot of creatures called the scorched and scorched beasts uh that is a a result of the radioactive mutant mutations uh because fallout 76 takes place in 2102 which is roughly 25 years after the great war which uh, makes sense well it it does when you realize what the purpose of Vault 76 was. Yeah, I know. Um, Vault 76, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but the vaults are basically used as various means to test different theories about social events. Um, and Vault 76 was, long story short, Vault 76 was the canary of the vaults. Uh they released the Vault 76 on quote-unquote Reclamation Day, which is 2102, which is 25 years, like I said, 25 years after the Great War of 2077. Uh, and basically, they released them with the intent of seeing, hey, can you survive yet? Uh, Vault Tech was, has, like, a, right now in the series, we know of, God, a ton of different vaults throughout various different things. Of all the vaults that we know about, really only four of them are what's called control vaults, which are basically vaults that are not got something screwy going on. Um, And of those, like one of them is legitimately the enclaves uh, or the unity. Sorry, that was the master. Sorry, Los Angeles vault was the one I was thinking of. Um, Mm. What was the control? What was the? There was one that was specific. Or um, hang on, hang on. I have. There's like I said. Uh, yeah. So basically, oh nope. I I spoke incorrectly. Seventy six was a control vault that was intended to open and recolonize the surface after twenty years. Um, basically, it was designed to do that because of the idea that theoretically it should be clear. They didn't. They basically miscalculated surprise um but despite being open or despite being designed to open 20 years after the war it actually opened 25 years so there was a there was a mishap mentioned there um there were other vaults that were designed to test the effects of radiation uh some of the the funniest there's i mean there's some funny ones too which is kind of weird like vault 77 uh which was Vault 77 was literally populated by one man and a crate of puppies, which is the best way to, yeah. Um, I just love some of the combinations and I'll, I'll try to, uh, I, I'll try to put these in the notes somewhere because there's, there's quite a few interesting ones. Each vault basically can hold a thousand people. Um, and you had different situations like you had vault 68 and 69, uh, of the 1,000 people that entered, there was only one man or one woman. So, you know, there's like different things going on there. Um, you have different vaults where certain events happened. They weren't necessarily comprised of tests, but like there was one vault where all the jumpsuits extruders were, uh, they all failed after six months. 
And so like, how, how do you handle that? A lot of these are mentioned in what's called a fallout Bible, which is as, mm-hmm. as most, most major uh, titles will have Bibles of some sort. And it's basically to help assist with keeping with the continuity of the different titles and different installments and the handoffs between development teams. Um, and real quick, this is actually speaking of the fallout Bible. I'm going to quote the explanation of vaults as social experiments. Uh, and this is, I believe this was from, oh gosh, I don't remember. I don't know if this was from Scott Campbell or if it was from someone else, but it says, quote, first off thematically, so this was basically in response to an ask an AMA on uh, Reddit where they kind of were like, what, why, why did vault tech do all these creepy things in the, in the vaults? And they say, quote, first off thematically, it's pretty creepy. And we all know that developers will pull all sorts of crazy to try and mess with players heads. It's possible that Tim had just finished watching an X-Files episode and had conspiracy theories swimming around in his subconscious. As to your comment about the experiments being a bit over the top, well, yeah, we're guilty as charged. Second, secondly, as proven time and again in Fallout 2, the Enclave isn't a particularly rational bunch of fellows. Thematically, they embrace a paranoid view of the world and a heightened sense of superiority over everyone else in Fallout. Third, the federal government, or whatever branch of federal government was responsible, it was not necessarily the Enclave, may not have ever considered the vaults as society's best chance for survival. The government may have considered themselves the best candidates for rebuilding the world and already had their covered in events of a nuclear biological war by relocating to other remote installations across the nation and elsewhere that weren't necessarily vaults. The Enclave certainly didn't seem to be devoting much effort to digging up any other vaults and trying to use the human stock there to rebuild civilization. Fourth, a lot of people did die because the vaults didn't work. Some suffered worse fates. Nonetheless, even members of the Enclave probably could not answer the question of who created the vault experiments and their reasons, as many of the people responsible for the creation of the vaults died long ago, and many records were lost in the Great Static of 2077. President Richardson was familiar with the purpose of the vaults, but he never saw them more, as more than the little test tubes of preserved humans he could mess with, end quote. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's basically like the majority of vaults built by Vault Tech were actually designed to be experimental vaults. There were not a lot of control vaults within them. Uh, now, again, going back into the timeline a little bit, obviously these vaults were built prior to the Great War. Uh, and so, they again, this taps back into that, that nuclear paranoia that was very prevalent within the 1950s. Uh, you know, this is when you see in, in our timeline, this is when you see uh, nuclear war, uh, you know, tests with, or not tests, but like... Um, Oh God! What is it? The siren system. Everyone, everyone, get under your desk. Like you know, there, there's, there's these things that they would do. Like legitimately, would happen in society. And it's like, why would you do that? It's you know, these are actual things that happen. Um, and so that was kind of a tap back into the reality from the Fallout series. And this was also kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of making fun of that as well. Mm-hmm. Long story short, there. Uh, I kind of I want to jump through the order of titles from a chronological standpoint. Um, as I said at the, at the kind of the top of the, the show here, I'm going to stick to the five RPG titles uh, because those are predominantly 
the most canonical of the titles. Mm-hmm. The exception to that is 76, uh, which we, it, it was just released. So first off, we don't really know how faithful to the canon 76 is going to call is going to be. I kind of view it. <clears throat> I view it the same as elder scrolls online. It's an MMO. So arguably like big events that might be canon, uh, small events within this, within the title, probably not. Um, mm-hmm. it's just not going to So it's kind of a pseudo canonical event within it. And like I said, it was released this year. So we will see, we know that there are, <coughs> excuse me, we know that there have been some minor uh, continuity corrections uh, that has been made. The one predominant one so far as the Brotherhood of Steel, uh, right. they they were brought. They, so the Brotherhood of Steel arguably wasn't in existence uh, at the time that Fallout 76 is occurring, which is 2102. Uh, but in the game, we, uh, they, they are there, they have their power armor and they're walking around. So it has been kind of confirmed in fallout 76 that the brotherhood is around as well as super mutants, which kind of causes a small hiccup in the story of the forced evolutionary virus, which we'll talk about actually right now, because that is the predominant figure or predominant antagonistical tool in the original game fallout. So <clears throat> Fallout was released in 97. It was the first title that was released. Uh, we had mentioned this. It is The developer was Interplay Entertainment or Black Isles Studios. Uh, it takes place in the year 2161. So it's actually roughly... Uh, what is that? years in the future from... Yeah, from uh, the... 76. Yeah. And so the story begins in Vault 13. Uh, this vault is located in Southern California... Where the water chip, oh, the, that stupid water chip, which is a recurring theme. The water chip, it kind of breaks. And this water chip, the reason this is a big deal is this is the one thing that is responsible for water recycling and other pumping machinery. So basically, they're dead without this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we find the protagonist. Um, and basically, this this particular protagonist is known throughout the canon and the game series as, quote, the Vault Dweller. Uh, and the Vault Dweller is tasked by the Overseer, who is the basically the lead scientist, leader of each vault. Every vault has a Overseer. Um, and this, this particular vault, Vault 13's Overseer, ta- uh, gives the Vault Dweller a device called a Pit-Boy 2000. And the point of this device is to assist in keeping track of their progress and some meager equipment. And then basically kicks them out of the vault and says, hey, go get this water chip if you want everyone to survive. Um, Initially, the game actually was shipped with a time limit coded into the main mission. uh, Or it was, uh, sorry, the time limit of the main mission is still present. The secondary time limit. So the main mission actually has a time limit coded into it of 150 days. Uh, and that is basically there to say that's when the water supply is going to run out for vault 13. You can through different, uh, interactions with NPCs in the game actually increase that time limit to 250 days. So you can increase it by a hundred days. Uh, if you find the, a certain group of merchants and actually commission assistance, 
but basically you have 150 to 250 days to to complete the first part of the game uh and so this is the location of a water chip and basically just taking it back uh so you locate the water chip you return to vault 13 and the vault dweller at that point learns of a mutant army uh, this is where you get introduced to the figure of the master. And this is the part where originally it was actually shipped with a time limit coded into this mission of 500 days. But later in uh, one of the earlier updates to the game uh, in version 1.1, they actually removed this. And the reason for this particular one uh, was because they wanted to promote the idea of an open world. Uh, so they said, we're going to take the 500 days off. So what happens is the Vault Dweller learns about the Master, and the Master has this thing called, which is referred to throughout the series as FEV, uh, which is Forced Evolutionary Virus. And FEV in the Master's hands is basically being utilized to convert humanity into super mutants, which he then is collecting to create his own version of a perfect world. Uh, This faction is called the Unity, and it's super creepy. Uh, so the vault dweller is tasked with basically the job of killing the master as well as destroying the primary depot of FEV, which is called Mariposa military base. Uh, and so this is the mission that originally, like I said, had 500 days, uh, because at the end of that 500 days, the mutant army would discover vault 13 and invade it, which would destroy and end the game. So, uh, Basically, when they took that out, you can still technically lead the mutants back to the vault and you can still, I think, get that cutscene to occur, but it's not based off of time in game. Uh, but the player can defeat the master and destroy the super mutants military base in either order. So you have two two main points there. And then when both threats are eliminated, you are you're put into a cutscene in which you return to Vault 13 and are basically told, hey, great job, you're amazing, now now leave. And <laughs> the reason for this is that if they come back, everyone would want to leave the Vault, and so for the good of the Vault, they're rewarded with exile into the desert. Um, and this is all because the Overseer kind of com- uh, is looking at it as the means justify the ends. Regardless, what happens is after they've been exiled, uh, so this is also the big thing with Fallout is Fallout was a big component of ethical choices. And these choices actually change what happened in game. And this was this was the case even as far back as Fallout. Uh, so this is actually one of the big iterations of that. If you had played a character that aligned with the good uh, moral component, they just walked away. If you uh, played a character who is more of an evil component or evil alignment, they would actually kill the Overseer and then walk away. Either way, you actually leave Vault 13. Uh, The Vault Dweller will eventually go on to found a village called Aereo, which brings us to actually the starting point of Fallout 2, as well as basically the direct connection between the two titles as well as the two protagonists. Um, So Fallout 2 to kind of jump directly into that, was released the next year, 98. Uh, and this was developed exclusively by Black Isle Studios, and it takes place in the year 2241. Uh, so this is, let me do my math real quick, about 190 to 100 years after Fallout. So basically following the events of Fallout, the Vault Dweller uh, went north. 
Uh, so from Vault 13, they took a group of companions and went north. Eventually, they began to gather a community together in, in, in an area within Oregon and named the village Ario. After writing memoirs, the Vault Dweller vanishes. Uh, basically, it's just the, the stereotypical rides off in the sunset and leaves behind Ario in the hands of their companions and their descendants. So basically, in the decades since the Vault Dweller's exile, <clears throat> you also see the rise of a new government. And this is the government of the New California Republic, which is referred to as NCR throughout most of the series. The NCR has begun to unify the southern towns and is basically spreading north. Uh, so this is becoming a a, uh, a point of interest for the, the inhabitants of Ario. Um, but you also have a mysterious new organization known as the Enclave, which kind of just kind of shows up. And the reason why the Enclave is a big threat here is that the Enclave has some of the most, if not the most sophisticated technology in the wasteland. Uh, and this is technology that even surpasses the much more uh, prominent Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, also, Fallout 2 introduces Jet which is a, a drug that kind of is super addictive and <coughs> also ties everyone back to the town of New Reno uh, because of the addictive properties. So this is kind of the world in which the Chosen One, which is the protagonist here, uh, is is introduced or you are introduced to as the Chosen One. Uh, the Chosen One is a direct descendant of the Vault Dweller. And you are brought before the elders of Ario and given the task of retrieving a Garden of Eden creation kit, which is known as GEC, which is one of the coolest little acronyms ever, for their village, which, hey, guess what, is suffering the worst drought in living memory. So going back to, you need a water chip. Uh, the GEC is a powerful piece of technology that is basically able to create thriving communities out of the wasteland that is the result of the apocalyptic Great War. So what this do, what this device does is literally it creates a pocket of Eden, which is where the name comes from. Uh, the idea here is that by getting a Gek, it will allow Ario to survive. So the chosen one, basically through throughout uh, through reviewing the memoirs of their of their ancestor and through just travel, they actually locate Vault Thirteen. And the entire reason that they locate Vault 13 is that every vault has a Gek located within it. So they find Vault 13, they are hoping to acquire the Gek that's within the vault, only to find that, hey, the vault has been opened and every pretty much everyone inside of it is gone. No clue where they've gone, they just vanished. Uh, so the, the Chosen One returns to Aereo with the Gek, to kind of being like, I don't know what's going on, but they're all gone. And it's discovered that the village has become captured by the Enclave. Uh, and this is also where you kind of start learning a bit more about the Enclave, and you find out that they are actually remnants of the U.S. government and the shadow government that ran it. Um, also, hey, guess what? Most of them have been kidnapped. So it's a very familiar kind of, this is where you start getting connection between Vault 13 and Aereo as well. Both of them have been kidnapped by the Enclave. Uh this leads to the Chosen One recovering and reactivating an ancient oil tanker, and which will allow them to get to the Enclave's main base, which is located in an offshore oil rig. It is here that they discover that the inhabitants of Vault 13 and those missing from Aereo have been captured to serve as test subjects for the Enclave's experiments with a modified variant of FEV. And this modification basically is they changed it into an airborne disease that targets any living creature with mutated DNA. Uh, and the reason why they did this is the Enclave plans to purify the world and take control once again. 
And that's all great and good until Chosen One blows up their base. <clears throat> so they kind of put an end to that plan, uh, which is why actually the Enclave had kidnapped the inhabitants of Vault 13. They were using them as control subjects because, as we kind of have kind of mentioned, the vaults are sealed. So there's no mutation theoretically happening within them. Um, so basically following the freeing of the prisoners, the chosen ones lead the group back into the wasteland where with the geck that they got from Vault 13, they create a new community. Now, this is where we have a changing of hands of the title <clears throat> because in Fallout 3, which was published or which was released in 2008, so 10 years after Fallout 2, Bethesda is now in control of this this title. Um, and this is also arguably where Fallout 3 kind of takes a jump into a different story. Uh, Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 have followed the Vault Dweller and their descendants. Fallout 3 is taking place within the Capital Wasteland, which is the wasteland of Washington, D.C. Um, and this this game follows the story of the Lone Wanderer. So this is in 2271, which is 200 years after the Great War. Uh, the Lone Wanderer, who is a young inhabitant of Vault 101, <clears throat> is basically following their fa- father's footsteps. And the reason why is basically in the beginning, uh, their father is responsible for opening the vault and running into the wasteland. No answer is why. The Lone Wanderer doesn't know what's going on. And so in regards or in order to kind of figure out what is going on, uh, and to escape the overseer who's kind of blaming everything on their father, they go into the capital wasteland for search, to search for answers. Uh, while searching for these answers, the Wanderer becomes involved in basically a number of different things, which includes the power grab between the Enclave and the Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, and basically their reason for being involved in that is that there is apparently history between the Brotherhood and their father, uh, which coerces them into joining the Brotherhood against the Enclaves, uh, and they are responsible really uh, for kind of breaking the Enclave a bit here, <clears throat> because the Brotherhood at this point in the story is a shadow of itself. Um, ultimately, this this ends with the Lone Wanderer going head-to-head with the Enclave's new leader, uh, President John Henry Eaton, and his second-in-command, Colonel Augustus Autumn. Uh, which is also where you start finding even more secrets about the Enclave, uh, which is involved with uh, the realization that the Enclave is not 100% human to begin with. So the, the idea of the pure pure human race by the Enclave is a bit um, hypocritical on that one, especially... Distorted. Oh my god, Eden is like the most annoying person to deal with. Uh, Fallout 3 also arguably has one of, if not the worst in fights of a, of the vanilla game. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. uh, it's just painful. Um, yeah. But yeah, so in Fallout 3 uh, was also when they really pushed it onto the consoles. Uh, so you have this being released on Xbox 360 and I believe the PlayStation 3, I want to say. Yes. Um, 
And so you also had Fallout 3 being shipped with DLCs. Uh, so mm-hmm. you had um, a number of DLCs for Fallout 3, all of which, I, I like I said, I really enjoyed the mechanics of Fallout 3. So uh, it was one of the few games that I enjoyed the mechanics so much that I kind of overlooked a slightly weaker story telling because the vanilla story of Fallout 3 <clears throat> was not was not super strong. But the mechanics made up for it in my mind. Um, flip that on its head, Fallout New Vegas, uh, which was released in 2010 by Obsidian Entertainment, uh, it takes place in 2274. Uh, and this is actually a title that I liked the story, couldn't stand the mechanics, which is weird because the mechanics were arguably the same as Fallout 3. Difference here is that Obsidian Entertainment is not Bethesda Game Studios. And so this is also where you kind of have a bit of friction going on behind the scenes. And it also explains why Fallout New Vegas is more reminiscent of Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 instead of Fallout 3. Uh, Fallout, Fallout New Vegas, again, takes place about three years after Fallout 3, uh, and it's located in and around the area of Las Vegas, which is known as New Vegas. Um, and this is basically an introduction to this area, and you learn that the city wasn't hit as hard as most of the other districts because it's in the middle of a freaking desert. Um, and so New Vegas is mostly still intact, and it actually has electricity and running water because they have this really cool thing called the Hoover Dam right next to them. Uh, which introduces also an increased uh, political environment within the game because it encourages whoever controls Hoover Dam can basically controls New Vegas. Um, so yeah, while it does take place after the events of Fallout 3, it's actually argued that it's more related to the events from Fallout and Fallout 2 due to the area of the gameplay. So you have the NCR as a major component of the, the story. Uh, you are introduced to a another faction called Caesar's Legions, uh, which has a very interesting backstory. I'm going to try to get to the factions here in a bit. Uh, Caesar's Legion and then Mr. House. Oh, Mr. House, who is basically the overseer of the New Vegas Strip and really kind of a a baron in his own right of the entire area. Um, You are the courier, is the protagonist in New Vegas, and you basically get introduced in the middle of a mission in which it's surprise gets... I, I would not be surprised if this was a freaking water chip. Um, you're introduced in the middle of a mission to deliver a package from Prim to New Vegas. You get intercepted and basically are left for dead in a shallow grave. You're discovered by a robot and are taken to a, a, nearby, a nearby settlement where you're able to be brought pretty much back to back from the brink of death and you go on to become a major figure in in the overall kind of story of new vegas new vegas also has one of the most like random number of different endings based on the number of decisions that you make throughout the title uh, which is kind of actually a good point here this is also arguably why you see a large jump between the timelines in the different titles uh you see this a lot with elder scrolls as well bethesda does this quite a bit <clears throat> because it allows the players to make decisions that affect the outcome of the game but then also allow their later titles to continue continuity because the events within a game are are able to be personal but the overall events are still predetermined by the game creators uh 
New Vegas is a really good example of this because basically the end of the vanilla title um, is the second Hoover, the second battle at Hoover Dam, uh, where you basically determine who ends up with control over Hoover Dam. Uh, there's, I believe, 20, 20 odd definitive endings available within the title, and the end result is either control of New Vegas can be belonging to either the NCR, Caesar's Legion, Mr. House, Brotherhood of Steel, who show up at the 11th hour, or an independent Vegas. Um, All of these are also then flavored by the, again, the moral compass of the individual character, um, and different achievements are unlocked as well. So there's a huge, huge component of different endings within the New Vegas title. Um. Which brings us to Fallout 4, which chronologically is the latest title so far. Um, Fallout 4 was released in 2015. It's back in the hands of Bethesda Game Studios. It takes place in the year 2287, and the main protagonist is a character known as the Sole Survivor. Uh, and so the Soul Survivor is introduced when they are forced to flee the safety of Vault 111 on the day of the... Or they are forced to flee to Vault 111, Uh on the day of the Great War. So it actually gives you a glimpse of the the events of October 23rd. Uh, it's also the only title to split the time played. So you play not only before the Great War, but also after. Um, which was a real... I love, the, I love the beginning of Fallout 4. I think it's a great beginning. Um, yeah, that was like the only thing that oh really intrigued God, me. Oh my God, I like love that. Do the opening sequence. The, and the opening I... sequence and like up until basically you, you're you told, hey, you have to run this city or this yeah. town. I was like, I'm done. Um, like, I don't think I want to do Farmville. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it really it's a first person Farmville. It's, uh, um, oh yeah. So if you, if you don't, if you have a Xbox game pass, I think fallout four is actually free to play. And I really mm-hmm. wouldn't, if, if nothing else, I would really actually encourage people to go watch the opening sequence to fallout four. Cause it's just really, it's really well done. Um, but that's, so that's the introduction to fallout four. You actually are in the process of running to vault one eleven. Uh, and then when you get into vault 11, one eleven, you're put into cryogenic stasis. Uh, during the time that the subjects in the vault are in stasis, there is actually a revolt. Uh, the security force rises up against the science staff and basically all of the people who are not in stasis are killed or exiled. Uh, which translates into there is no one left to take care of the people in stasis. And so they just basically all slowly die off um, until the soul survivor is woken. And basically you wake up in time to see the murder of their spouse, because also in Fallout 4 you can, uh, or in Fallout, you can play either gender. Uh, So that is taken into account here. You see the murder of their spouse. And then also uh, you witness the kidnapping of their child. Sean is the child. After witnessing the events, the survivor is able to escape the vault, only discover that it is actually 200 years since they, uh, since they went into the vault and their home, their home is, you know, long since obviously fallen into disarray. Um, but the fact is they're still missing their child. So the, the more urgent matter of their child's well-being pushes the survivor to venture into the nearby diamond city, 
uh, which introduces you into the politics of that area's commonwealth. Uh, This is taking place in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and also gives an excuse to introduce the various factions of that area, such as the Commonwealth Minutemen, the Railroad, the Brotherhood of Steel, and also the new kind of faction really here is the Institute. Now, the Institute was mentioned in Fallout 3, but it becomes a major component within Fallout 4. Uh, and so basically upon finding, and then this leads you into needing to find a way into the Institute. So you basically work your way into the Institute and you come to find your son is in the figure of the father, uh, who is the current director of the Institute. And it's kind of a, it was a nice little twist there too, because basically what you find out is, oh, Hey, you're not 10 years old. You're over 60 and you're dying of cancer. Well, Uh, what happened is that it's revealed that while they did indeed witness the kidnapping of their child, they had been returned into cryostasis for another 50 years before Sean actually reactivated them, uh, with the idea to bring them into alliance with the Institute since Sean was not able to create viable descendants, I think would be the best way to say that, um, and so they're, they're, his entire plan is to basically have his parents take over control of the Institute. Uh, again, as is common with Fallout games, your, your, your decisions determine how this all works. Uh, you can either continue the Institute's work. You can choose to basically shut the Institute down. Um, you know, there's, there's also the moral components within the decisions as well. And then there's also the fact that you are uh, running various villages throughout the area as well throughout the gameplay. Um, and that's really the titles. I know that was a very, very quick run through. Um, green beard questions go. Questions. Uh... Questions revolve mainly because I only played the mobile game. The importance of the the different classes within Fallout is not as heavily emphasized in most of the games. Correct? Like you were, I think I played like a hot minute of Fallout Four. Yeah. So to... the way, so um, you're you're hundred percent correct. You are not bound by a particular class. So like when you okay. create your character, you create it's it's all about like character creation for Fallout is all about like the crazy aesthetics, right? Uh that's mm-hmm. that's your creation. Now you do have uh it's called special uh a allotment or an allotment of different quote unquote skill points, but ultimately you can customize that through gameplay as well. Mm-hmm. Um and Fallout 4 really doubled down on this, actually. I, I, I'm actually not a f- really... I, I never spent... I didn't spend a lot of time with it, but from my first glance at the Fallout 4 uh, skill tree development, I was actually... I was not a fan of it. Um, I mm-hmm. actually really liked Fallout 3's development of it. But basically what you have is a assortment of different uh, genres, I guess, of skill sets. Uh, you have like things like, you know, sneak, you have strength, you have uh, diplomacy, like different things. And this is often, often that, but that this is often very common in Bethesda titles in general. You see the similar things in elder scrolls, right? Right. That's, I mean, and that's the reason why I tried fallout is because I enjoyed elder scrolls so much. Right. It's just, 
It felt um, so very different it, in the way is, that it was implemented. It is extremely different in not only implementation, but obviously theme as well. Um, mm-hmm. f- again, I I really, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I really prefer Fallout 3. I love Fallout 3's mechanics. Um, Fallout 4 and New Vegas, I'm not a, as big of a fan for uh, because of mechanics. Um, okay. It's similar to my obsession with Oblivion as over the other titles. I, I really like the mechanics of oblivion. I'm not so much, I, I, I've grown to be okay with Skyrim's mechanics. I don't like Morrowind. you know, like I, I just have a preference of different mechanics. Um, right. But the big thing with fallout is like, as far as character creation purposes, you can completely determine how your character evolves over time. So if you choose to make a super strong character who's not super smart in the beginning or a super smart character who's not super strong in the beginning, you know, however you want to do that, um, you can write that decision, I guess, if that makes sense. Like you can rebalance it through gameplay to a degree. Now, there there is often there there are various uh, loadouts that will provide you, you know, if you're trying to like power play through, um, right. You can, you have specific skills that you want to focus on first because they'll give you like science, science and lock pick are like the biggest things for, for my play style because science determines your ability to hack computers and lock pick is your ability to open safes to get to gear that you're not supposed to have yet. Um, right. and so it, it helps you get, uh, equipment and knowledge faster. Knowledge will then translate into skill points, which then you can kind of turn like there's, there's different ways to achieve different goals within the title, uh, that is completely up to the individual player. And that's what I love about fallout is like, you can play the same game and have two different completely experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, to kind of go back, there's not like a, there's not a, you know, healer class or there's no classes. It mm-hmm. really is. It's really, Scientists really kind of, versus. yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, they do a really good job of being like, Hey, here's the wasteland, throw you into it and it's sink or swim based on your reactions. Um, and you see that especially within the later installments because uh, Bethesda also really does a good job of introducing the uh, components of moral choices within the game. Uh, mm-hmm. And Fallout 4 actually has a really good uh, uh, karma system, I guess is the best way to kind of refer to it. Uh, Fallout 3's was kind of clunky. Fallout 4 does a really good job. Uh, you see this in Bethesda's other titles. This is a very common component within the Elder Scrolls series. Um and and it's 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 even it's it's uh, emphasized more in Fallout because a lot of Fallout is about uh, diplomatic relations between these factions. So factions aren't like clans; they're not uh, just political NPCs. Factions are living, breathing entities within the game that change based off your reactions and your your mm-hmm. decisions. Uh, the Institute is a really good example. The Institute in Fallout Four you actually can determine how the Institute responds to you becoming the director. If you become the director based on your actions in the earlier iterations of your, of your encounters with the Institute, because if you basically kill the Institute uh, researchers in the field, you Mm -hmm. find that it's more difficult to, to allow the Institute to assist you um, once you in the game and the, 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 uh, campaign missions that are that are aligned with becoming the director 
Um, or if you choose to not become the director, you know, uh, the Institute is responsible for synths, uh, which are basically synthetic humans. Uh, and so one of the benefits of finishing Fallout 4's main story and becoming the director is you increase the number of synths in the environment. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, you'll you have like assistants running around the wasteland who will actually drop everything and come help you because you're you're their director, you're their father. And so you have a lot more NPC assistance. Uh, if you don't become the director, you know, obviously the synths are not there. Uh, this is often also seen the railroad is in Fallout 4. The railroad is basically, it's not even a faction, it's actually a movement. Uh, and they're dedicated to freeing sentient synths from the Institute. Uh, so you kind of have a component there as well. You know, do you free the synths? Do you not free the synths? You know, there's that. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of actually really, really, really cool moral dilemmas within the Fallout series. Uh, Fallout Three is the Megaton, the entire thing. Do you do you blow up Megaton or do you let it stay? Because Megaton is the major city in Fallout Three. It's um, it's built around the remains of a Megaton bomb. It's the atomic bomb. And it's where they kind of like they they there's this crater that it fell in. It never exploded. And for a very variety of different reasons, they've built a villa community around this thing. Well, you actually have an option in Fallout 3 uh, to set off the bomb. That's actually a mission you know, that you've been given by a uh, NPC that you meet later in the tight and later in the campaign um, who basically says, hey, I've been basically hired to destroy Megaton. Uh, do you, and then you're given the choice, do you activate the bomb and kill everyone or do you not activate the bomb and piss off this really powerful NPC? You know, like there's, there's these different karma points that are going back and forth always. Every decision you make in Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 uh, will influence your karma standing. Uh, and and it's, again, it's it's present in the other titles, but it's uh, Bethesda double downed on it with Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. New Vegas obviously has it as well because Bethesda was heavily involved there as too. There was, okay, I'm trying to think of it and I can't think of the franchise. I played all three of the games. It was a karma-based game similar to this, but it was not post-apocalyptic. It was more fantasy. Why can't... Uh... I was trying to figure out if this karma system is similar to that, where based on your actions, you're going to have this outcome in the game at the end versus not. Yeah. So, so the karma, the karma system in fallout is very similar to the alignment system in D and D to kind of oversimplify it. Um, Uh You have, you have like an axis of good and evil and then you mm-hmm. have an axis of um, pacifist and violent. And like, okay. basically, you fall within somewhere on this quadrant. And and given where you fall, that response, that, that then determines like, you know, with, uh, again, kind of going back to Fallout 3, because I'm intimately familiar with Fallout 3. Uh, mm-hmm. Given your location within that quadrant, that determines, NP- like, average NPCs response to you at the time that they're first introduced to you. Um, and then based off that, ba- uh, you can then use diplomacy or, you know, um, threats, 
you can different different you know like there's different perks that will then allow you to either win the the um well wishing of that in particular npc uh fallout has one of the funniest perks is lady killer or black oh, widow um, okay. and, basi- and basically what this does is this perk allows you as a player if you're a male character you get lady killer if you're a female character i think it's i, th- I want to say it's like the uh, i want to say it's black widow but basically what it is because you can also have somewhat you can you can somewhat have relationships within the and npcs will have relationships with each other Mm-hmm. And so based off the relationship status of the NPC, when you encounter them, if you have this particular perk, you get like a massive boost if they're single, if they're not in a relationship with another NPC, you get mm-hmm. a massive boost to your ability to influence them to do certain things if they're the opposite okay. sex or the opposite gender of your character. So if you're a male character and you have a lady killer and you encounter a, a single female NPC, you get like it's like some I mean it's like plus 50 like it's a huge boost and and that's really kind of like you because you build these you build these specific skill sets and you can purchase these through in-game care or in-game development um, again very similar to Elder Scrolls like you your uh, your skill trees in Elder Scrolls uh, you know like Skyrim Skyrim's the one uh-huh. that comes to yeah. mind where you're building the constellation of different skill sets you have a very right. similar concept within Fallout you you have okay. components that as you get more skill points to invest in certain particular strengths you can get different benefits like one of them's uh lead stomach i think is one of the ones uh which allows you to drink water without filtering it first and you can ignore basically ignore Ooh. You ignore the radioactive damage that normally would be incurred by that. Uh, In Fallout 3, you can become a ghoul, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, You basically can glean nutritional value from eating or from cannibalism. So that's actually, again, going back to this, this is, this is, this is very Mad Max. And if you guys, you know, if you're familiar with the Mad Max kind of story there that's that's in line with what's going on this is a post-apocalypse there there, i mean there there's a there's that's very gritty in a lot of senses that yeah that may be another reason i may not have finished that game oh yeah i mean and and the and the cool thing the cool thing about like especially again fallout 3 the great thing about it is like you I mean, like I can play Fallout. So I, I'll, I'll be full disclosure. I have played so many hours of Fallout Three that I actually got the DLCs for free. Um, it's wow. Yeah, I I think I clocked in at over four thousand hours on Fallout Three. <sighs> um, it's up. It's I think the only game that I have more hours in is Oblivion and uh, Skyrim. Um, I really like solo RPGs. In case that has not been made clear in the last like hundred. 200 episodes of focus fire um uh-huh but so like with fallout 3 like the greatest thing that i love about it so much is that every time i play it i can have a completely different experience of the same game based on based on not just decisions for my skill set but basically also based on decisions of hey i want to kill this npc no i want to keep this NPC. like you can actually affect what happens within the wasteland in a single battle 
And that's to me, that's like, that's just, I love that. You actually see long term effects made on decisions that you make early in the game that, that you don't even realize the repercussions until later in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why if you look at like guides for Fallout, they're always like huge, massive books. Because basically every decision that you make within the game will have ripples of some kind. And you have to be cognizant of those ripples to a degree. And I mean, either way, either you're going to be, you know, you'll either be a chaotic evil or you'll be, you know, an evil character or you'll be a paragon. Like you can play these different, different uh, uh, paths and they're a hundred percent, you know, if you, if you understand the karma system and understand how that all affects each other, but the thing is, is the great thing about Fallout is that at the end of the day, you have to make a choice. And that's what I love about it is like it doesn't let you just, you know, vote present. You have to make either you like with the Megaton situation, you either have to blow up the town or you don't. If you blow up the town, you destroy, a, a you know, first off, you're you're going to incur significant negative karma but you also will lose access to a large number of vendors because they're dead. And later in the game, that might be important. But if you choose to not blow up Megaton, uh, you piss off the guy who has been who assigned you the task to do it. And so then there's repercussions because then he basically starts sending hitmen after you. And you have to deal with that repercussion as well. Like they're, they're, the paths that you choose actually do have tangible results within the game. Yeah, chat right now. <laughs> Who else blew up Megaton? Or? Who else blew? <laughs> Preston. Pre- there's there's a number of different quests where like you basically have the option to kill the quest giver, and like oh. like it. Be, I mean, again, going back to it's Mad Max. Like it's it's right. a it's a chaotic world that Fallout exists in. And so one of the things is like there is nothing that's really there really isn't anything that's not allowed in game. Like it's it doesn't get graphic, it's not adult or anything like that, but like as far as like you can attack anybody. There's no one that's like you can, you know like a lot of games will be like oh you can't kill that person because they're essential. Fallout really mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's a few figures that you can't do that to. Uh, which is explained in game like they basically are like oh no we're going to take all your weapons away while you talk to us like you know there there's an explanation of why but like um there are very few characters that are actually quote unquote immune to being killed and you can really screw up your campaign if you kill the wrong person which is again okay. really realistic and one of the big things i like about that series do you get a? Is there a companion system like there is in Skyrim? Because Skyrim is probably my closest um, comparison to that. They have they have been building it out. Uh, Fallout Three had a really rough one. Uh, Fallout New Vegas. I don't. I didn't play Fallout New Vegas as much. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure you have a companion. Compa- yes, you do. You have companions in New Vegas because that's actually definitive endings. There's a few that are based on the uh, if you allow your companion to survive or not. Uh, Fallout okay. Four, you have uh, the dog, which is the most annoying companion ever. Um, I don't know the com- first companion mm, you get in Skyrim is pretty no, dang annoying. No, the the problem is, is Lydia. Like, Lydia. Yeah, but see, Lydia, you can plant somewhere. The dog, you can't. Oh, like Lydia, you can tell her to like stay, 
in the, in the house or whatever, like you can find a corner to put Lydia in and she will stay out of the way for the most part. The mm-hmm. dog in Fallout, you like, I'll, I'll be like, sit. And then like something happens and the next thing I know, he's like off running across the wasteland. I'm like, oh my God. Why? That's so... <laughs> Man, uh, Look, House. you guys are talking about this and i'm i'm sitting over here like resident evil 5 oh up? yeah yeah no, no yeah it's not yeah i mean as far as as far as games go i am not a huge proponent of of companion like i i don't i it just my play I mean, style doesn't make least, it doesn't make it easy at, at least dog meat would just run around and be stupid. Right, right. Like, but then you I always felt really inevitably like you that, like, always dog... <laughs> you always felt bad when dog meat got himself killed. Yeah, yeah because it was a dog. Meanwhile, I'm looking at Sheva going, "Stop wasting my 22 <laughs> rounds. Stop it. Stop it." I don't yeah, know. I don't. But it's, at least it's... Ashley in RE4 didn't waste your freaking ammo. That's true. She because she didn't have a firearm. She was pretty helpless though. Um, no, because yeah, and, and you mean like because uh, dog was dog meat. That was three, wasn't it? Was four? Was that dog meat as well? Did they yeah. call both of them dog meat? Because I know you can get dog meat in three. But yeah, in three, least, what was at least three? What, the the fun thing in three was if dog meat dies, you can go and find a puppy, and it like mm-hmm. you basically refer like I don't know if it was canonically referred to, but basically a lot of people refer to him as dog meat, and then enter integer, and so it'd be like <laughs> dog meat three, dog meat four, like I mean, and because dog meat as uh, he was the dog a companion available in three, he wasn't forced on you like he is kind of in four, but mm-hmm. like. If you chose to have dog meat, you could actually get different perks from him. But one of the biggest problems with dog meat in Fallout 3 was he would constantly get himself killed. Like, he was just ridiculously aggro towards everything, including death claws. And that's just, you don't, death claws are, you don't go near death claws. Mm -mm. Goodness. Except, which is which is the weird thing about Fallout Four because one of the first things you fight is a death claw. It scared death it claw. scared the ever living daylights out of me because it basically because Fallout Four um, is built around your it's not only built around the Farmville aspect of building communities it's also built around power armor. Uh, mm-hmm. So Fallout Four, you actually your your character, the sole survivor, one of the base equipments that they have is a power suit. Uh, which is which is really new. You can you can kind of like acquire power suits through the earlier titles, but you never actually have like a full blown power suit uh, that I'm aware of. You might have in one of the tactics games, but like you, as I'm far as the say, ex- you get you get pieces of a suit. Yeah, because in, in three you like- can like you can cobble together something, but you don't like in four you have to have the nuclear reactor to power it. Right. Well, I'm going to say you have the armor pieces, but you also need to make sure that you don't get encumbered by actually wearing them. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you're, yeah. Meanwhile, you're not actually running around with the fusion (laughs) reactor in the thing to make it work. But yeah, in Fallout 4, one of the the first things you do after you get the power suit is you fight a Deathclaw. And it was like, everything in my head was screaming klaxons because I, I played Fallout 3. You avoid those things until you have like 
the most powerful weapons because they're they're one of the most powerful figures like in the game in the Fallout 3 title that was something you like you gave a wide berth to so that was that was a that was a strong memory of Fallout 4 was me screaming <laughs> when I first saw the death clock come through the wall which actually, I guess I, I'm going to kind of, we've kind of mentioned a couple of these factions. I, I do want to go through some of the major ones real quick. Um, we kind of talked about the Enclave a little bit. Uh, really, to kind of finish that top, for finish that particular one off, the Enclave um, is, like I said, it's the organization that claims to be a continuation of the pre-war federal government of the United States. Um, so they often will style themselves to be the United States of America. Predominantly, the Enclave is made up of descendants of both the original members of the shadow government that controlled the U.S. before the Great War of 2077, as well as representatives of powerful companies. So you'll see uh, figures that call back to vault Tech and another company called Poseidon Energy, for example. Um as a whole, the Enclave views themselves as being the last known concentrated bastion of pure, unmutated humanity, and basically other than the unopened vaults, as well as being the most technologically advanced faction in the wasteland. Uh, so what this kind of translates into is they are very isolationist. Uh, they do not, they really don't communicate with other factions other than to to go to war with them. They definitely don't allow people into their the ranks, uh, which actually creates a bit of a problem. And it's why the Enclave is arguably one of the least populous figures out there. They don't have a lot of people in it. Uh, However, they make up for the lack of manpower manpower because they have extremely formidable technology, Uh, which is why if you... To be fair, they probably needed manpower to... Um, which actually explains Sorry, the uh, the yeah, the on. event <laughs> the event at the end of Fallout Three, which is where you find out that the Enclave is being led by an AI device. Uh, so you actually find out that President Eden is actually uh, it's a device called Zax, uh, which was oh, freaking Zax. It was an AI that was basically put in place to allow for the continuation of government in the event of a mutually assured destruction, uh, which is exactly what happened. Uh, And so Zax is leading the Enclave until you kind of pulled the plug on him. Uh, Major opponent to the Enclave is really the Brotherhood of Steel. And Brotherhood of Steel is throughout, like, it's, they're in pretty much every single title. Uh, well, they are in every single title now because 76 has them. Uh, so the Brotherhood of Steel is kind of a quasi-religious technological military order. Uh, they have roots with the United States Armed Forces and various other government-sponsored scientific communities from before the Great War of 2077, and they predominantly are located within the North America wasteland. Uh, due to the history of experimentation with the FEV, they are really, really against the Enclave. Uh, they basically, um, even though at the time when the Enclave really kind of came into power, the Brotherhood was kind of in the decline, they have enough people and they also have all the power suit armor to kind of be the kind of on equal footing with the Enclave. Uh, as an order, the Brotherhood really holds strongly to the tenets of the eradication of mutants and the veneration of technology, which is where the Brotherhood of Steel come in. 
Uh, also, their logo is one of the coolest logos ever. It's a pair of uh, eagle or angel wings with cogs and a sword. I, I love their their imagery. Um, in the later years of the series, the view of the Brotherhood of not sharing technology with other wastelanders kind of begins to deteriorate, and they actually begin building relationships with other factions and communities within the wasteland, especially in the uh, capital wasteland and the Commonwealth of the Boston, Washington, D.C. areas. Uh, and so they actually are starting to find, because up until that point, they viewed them as immature and not worthy of it. So that's where you kind of see in Fallout 4 where you actually acquire a full suit of power gear is because the Brotherhood has kind of started kind of being more lax in their their uh, forbidding of sharing of technology. Um, and really the other major, major player is the NCR, the New California Republic. Uh, the New California Republic has actually really got a, a pretty pretty detailed past uh they are a large federation of states that are held together through their beliefs in emphasizing and supporting a myriad of old world values uh which include personal liberty democracy and the overall rule of law uh you actually this is actually one of the most populated factions they have a total population of over uh, 700,000 individuals and they are based in current in modern day california nevada mexico and along the colorado river uh, and pretty much because of their their geographical location, they are really dedicated to restoring a general sense of order to the overall wasteland, and that includes improving and further developing infrastructure and economic systems, as well as basically a basic common degree of peace between everybody, regardless of the faction that they belong to. Um, the NCR actually is one of the factions that has probably the strongest connections to the protagonist that you see throughout the series and that is because of their connection to the vault dweller which was the protagonist from the original uh, fallout uh basically what the connection is is that there is a town within the uh, original fallout in the remains of vault 15 and this town is called shady sands uh and and what happened was the leader of the uh, community was uh, had their daughter kidnapped basically by raiders and the vault dweller was responsible for saving the daughter uh, and this young girl would actually go on to become one of the future presidents of the NCR. Um, so she she is very enamored by the vault dweller because they literally saved her life. Uh, by pretty much all standards within the post-apocalyptic world, the NCR is a paragon of economic success and really good ethical characters, political enfranchisement, rule of law, and basically a reasonable degree of physical security and a standard of living. Uh, the opponents of the NCR kind of claim that they're just grabbing for power. Uh, the NCR strangely hasn't really responded to a lot of that in game. Uh, they kind of are more focused on really just supporting their communities. And it's actually the, it's just like they, like I said, they have over 700,000 members within the faction as of the end of new Vegas. I'm not sure how they stand in fallout for a hundred percent, but at the end of new Vegas, they're very, very powerful. Uh, which, speaking of New Vegas, actually brings me to Caesar's Legion. And Caesar's Legion is, to be simple, the pretty much exact opposite of the NCR. Um, <clears throat> they are an autocratic, traditionalistic, imperialistic society that is built nearly totally around slavery and dictatorship. 
Uh, and really where they kind of got started was they were originally a scouting party for another faction called the Followers of the Apocalypse. Uh, and there was a figure who went by the name of Edward Sallow, uh, and there was a scouting party of nine people. Uh, they got kidnapped by a tribe of Blackfoots uh, when they were trying to figure out something for the for the faction or the followers. And the Blackfoots had planned to originally uh, ransom them back. Well, uh, as time went on, basically, there was a series of events which basically uh, led to Sallow being able to take over and actually reorganize the tribes of the area, uh, which is at that point he took on the title of Caesar. Uh, as you can probably guess, Caesar's Legion is pretty strongly reminiscent of the the Roman Republic. Um and so through basically the original group and the original tribe of Blackfoots would basically over time grow through the enslavement of the other tribes in the area, uh, which would then bring more and more into the thrall of Caesar uh, and actually becomes one of, if not the most powerful society east of the Colorado River uh, by 2271. Uh, this is basically 30 years after I mean, it, it's a pretty impressive growth of power, basically. Uh, he gets kidnapped in 2241, and by the end of 2271, he has the most powerful warrior society in the in the North American wastelands. Um, even, the, even that being said, they actually get in a battle with the NCR over Hoover Dam, which is the first battle of Hoover Dam in 2077, uh, and are, are completely decimated. Uh, and so, but the, uh, there's, there's a huge, huge story there. This all gets explained in new Vegas. Uh, but by, so they lose the majority of their forces in 2277 by 2281, they had actually reestablished their power and basically came back and were like, Nope, we're going to do it again. They, uh, actually get involved in what's called the second battle of Hoover dam. And this is where the courier who is the protagonist from new Vegas will actually, determine the ending of new vegas so this is the the uh the ending of new vegas is really the second battle of hoover dam at which point your character determines not only who takes control of hoover dam but exactly the flavor of how that all goes down based on the karma score that they have um let me think 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 the institute uh, Institute is from, uh, we kind of talked about them a little bit, but the Institute is a faction uh, comprised of advanced scientific organization members based in the Commonwealth or the, the capital Commonwealth. Um, it is known and feared for its ability to produce produce advanced synthetic humans, which are known as synths in the game. And basically the problem with these, and Beard, you're going to love this one, is that they are of high enough quality to pass as humans. They are basically replicants. Um the other problem with the Institute is that they are extremely secretive. Uh, for the majority of Fallout 3, which is actually where they get introduced, you actually don't hear anything of them. I think there's one one mission in Fallout 3 where you actually can save a synth, uh, which will bring me to the railroad here in a second. Uh, but that's the only thing you hear about really the Institute. They're not a major component of Fallout 3. They are mentioned. But in Fallout 4, uh, like we had mentioned, the major part of the story of the Soul Survivor is the Institute because of uh, the connection between Father and the Soul Survivor. Uh, that being said, 
because the ending of four is a fallout title, we don't really know the actual ultimate end of the Institute. Uh, we, cause we don't really know where that goes. Um, the railroad is an underground movement. I kind of already mentioned this. The railroad is the, basically the movement <clears throat> that is like, Hey, those synths are sentient. And so they deserve freedom. And so it's a callback to the underground railroad. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, that's what it is. Uh, you, you actually, um, encountered the, un- the railroad as the lone wanderer and the soul survivor. So that's fallout three and fallout four. The railroad is present, uh, Really, that's kind of that's all you know about the railroad. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're they're actually even more secretive than the institute. Uh, again, they're not a faction as much as just a, a movement of individuals. Um, but, 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 but the last one before we get into the seventy six factions, uh, or sorry, the factions that are introduced in Fallout seventy six is the followers of the apocalypse. So these are the the group that sent the scouting party that would become Caesar's legion. Uh, this is a faction uh, that is based in New California, um, and they're pr- very strongly established in the Mojave Wasteland. And really, honestly, they have the goal of basically tending to the inhabitants of the Wasteland. Uh, they're very kind of, they're they're not really, they're not pacifists, but they have a very strong like tendency to be to appear that way. Uh, mm-hmm. they really, they really just want to keep, they, they serve as keepers of knowledge. Uh, they, they are, so they're very, um, medically advanced. They, they really do actually take care of people, uh, medically and like socially and stuff like that. They're very all about trying to, uh, not allow nuclear war to ever happen again. You know, surprise, that's not a huge surprise. It shouldn't be. Uh, and so, but it, that should be said though, even, and they're also, oh, they're also, whereas all these other factions are very isolationist, the followers of the apocalypse are actually very open. They, they don't care. Um, they're very, they're very, uh, open to different factions interacting with them. They're, they're very open to that. Um, they want to share knowledge as, as much as they can, as long as that knowledge doesn't result in another war. Which you can see there is a bit of a conflict between the followers and Caesar's Legion. Um, mm-hmm. The followers, even though they are kind of pacifistic by nature, they they often do not take. They don't hesitate really if they get threatened, um, and they that that includes themselves and their ideals. So if you are being assisted by a follower of the apocalypse and someone threatens you, that follower will defend you as much as themselves. Uh, which is it's you know the followers of the apocalypse and the NCR are kind of in that same karmic quadrant as far as as far as the apocalypse or the wasteland is concerned, um, and that's really the factions within. Those are the major factions. There's obviously there's raiders, there's uh, God, there's ghouls, there's all the, all sorts of other different groups. But these are the major organized factions within uh, Fallout, Fallout Two, Three, and Four. Uh, which brings me to Fallout 76, which is where we see a couple of introductions of a couple new ones. Uh, those are the responders, the first responders, which are often called the responders, and the free states. Uh, both of these, by the time Fallout 76 takes place, um, both of these are actually extinct factions. So you don't actually get to really interact with the factions 
in particular, but you can learn about them through the game so far. Uh, the first responders was really literally exactly what it sounds like. It was an organized volunteer group that was made up of basically first responders, which is firefighters, police, medical, EMT staff, you know. Um, and what happened was these were all, uh, all individuals who set up the emergency aid stations throughout various towns and really kind of were their goal was to provide medical assistance and necessities to any survivors of the great war. And they kind of, they kind of appeared around 2082. So, you know, there was that period of time, which nothing was going on after 2077. And then around 2082, they kind of pop up. Uh, The, the problem with the first responders is because they um, they're actually pretty competent uh, because they're first responders and they actually have a pretty good knowledge of medical tech. They actually kind of have a, an uneasy relationship with the Brotherhood of Steel because the Brotherhood of Steel was often responsible for kind of stealing the more competent members of the responders from that faction and letting them join the Brotherhood. Uh Though this basically kind of never really goes anywhere because they have the common enemy of what's known as the scorched or scorched beasts. Um, and this is a, uh, antagonistic force that is really introduced in fallout 76. Uh, it's called the scorched plague. I don't know a lot about it cause I'm not really well versed in the 76 lore just yet. Uh, but I do know that from what I've been able to put together, the responders are responsible or were responsible for really kind of spearheading a search for a vaccine against this plague. Um, ultimately, they fail uh, because by the time Vault 76 opens in 2102, uh, they're gone. They, they're they extinct. Uh, no one knows anything or the, the responders are no longer there. Which brings me to the last faction I really wanted to mention, which is the Free States. Uh, the Free States are basically doomsday, <laughs> doomsday paranoia, tinfoil hatters. Um, and they were a group of local survivalists that gathered in the area of West Virginia prior to the Great War. And actually, apparently, I think it was in 2076 or the beginning of 2077, they had actually declared that they were seceding from the United oh States. Oh, my God. That's um, funny, actually. Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious reading the actual, like, full history of the free states because they're like, yeah, they, they actually called it. Like, they called everything that was going to happen in October of 2077. Um and they had built their own bomb shelters. They had, you know, they, I mean, this is, the, these are the stereotypical off the grid tinfoil hat, you know, conspiracy theorist. And they were right, which is just, I love it. Um, so they survive the nuclear attack and all the subsequent fallout in, uh, in self-constructed concrete bunkers. And then they are actually one of the first to emerge because they show up in 2079. So they show up two years after the the 2077 war and rebuild a town. Uh, This town is called Harper's Ferry. And because they're survivalists, they're very skeptical of outsiders. But they did actually kind of have a tenuous connection with the responders and the Brotherhood of Steel. Which, again, 76, those are kind of the major factions there. Um, What's sad is that in 2102, which is basically right right before Vault 76 is opened, uh, they get wiped out uh, by the Scorched. Uh, So Harper's Ferry is completely wiped off the map. 
they go then and they manage to survive that attack they go to uh perform a counterattack against the scorched and completely just get eradicated uh so the free states are the survivalists basically ultimately don't survive which is kind of a sad ending to a, a interesting story but that's that really a lot of information yeah that's not and that's not that's not even touching on the vaults in depth like mm-hmm. Like I said, there's some there's some really fun, really fun vault stories. You mentioned that the vaults were like experiments, just yeah. locations for the experiments. Were they primarily experimenting on like the human development within them, or like yeah? Just so the they were they were that's that's, that's the what argument. I've actually been going through while you guys have been kind of talking like the, about the experiments, too. the experiments and stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, um, through those. it's, it's a combination really of like the effects of mutant, uh, the effects of like FEV, uh, which is FEV is that forced evolutionary virus. Right. Um, like it, it was vault tech. And this kind of goes back to the quote that I had started like way back, uh, from the Bible, uh, the fallout Bible fallout Bible zero, I think is the one that I quoted. Um, yeah, I chat fallout one Oh eight or vault one Oh eight. Um, like, it's just, it's, it's like they they don't really have a, there's not a lot of cohesive experimentation going on and it's explained, I mean, it's explained in game because basically there was, so the, the the great war of 2077 happened and then there was something called the great static the static of 2077 which is basically the destruction of like all records um and so as a part of that destruction a lot of the information about like the setup of vaults by vault tech was lost so we don't really in game know why they're doing it and out of game they're like yeah it was just because we want it to be creepy and kind of there isn't a rational explanation really Mm-hmm. Like, here's a few examples just to kind of rattle them off. Uh, one is an unfinished vault that was designed to test a variety of prototype devices with the aim of rolling them out uh, through the rest of the vaults. The prototype devices included a uh, included a soda fountain that dispensed appetite-reducing drugs, <laughs> uh, electricity-generating exercise bicycles, subliminal messaging in- uh, integrated in optometrist equipment, and others. Another, populated largely by renowned musicians, the vault was a test bed for a white noise-based system which was the most (laughs) combat-oriented post-hypnotic suggestions. So what they did was they put musicians in the vault and then basically played non-stop white noise over everything. Like musicians. (laughs) I feel bad for them. That is terrifying. Oh no, that's not even that's not even the worst. Like that's that's the thing is like there's that sounds awful. That sounds like one vault there's one vault that uh they overcrowded it deliberately. So like Mm -hmm. I said, there was a thousand there's a capacity for a thousand. They shoved two thousand people into it. There was there was one where it was twenty men, ten women, and a panther. <laughs> and a panther. A panther. I love, I love yeah. that one. That's mentioned in uh, the web comic. Why? <laughs> because. Um, because why not? One of the, oh one of the new ones, apparently, that's listed from seventy six, which is Vault ninety four, says, "Founded on the principle of faith, nonviolence, and communal life in harmony with nature." 
Residents were not required to belong to a collective faith. Each person was free to walk their own path. The vault was supplied with an abundance of resources to restore the bounty of the earth. It was hoped that the residents would rebuild the belief that humanity is naturally good. One year after the Great War, on October 23, 2078, the vault reopened. Following a prayer by Pastor Gabriella for the victims of the war, she gave her blessings to the vault ambassadors uh, that were being sent out into Appalachia. Uh, yeah, opening the vault after one year, not a good idea. Oh, gosh. There are several others, too, that like lose their reactors over the course of time. Uh, and then, of course, they are uh, otherwise subjected to flooding from their mm-hmm. uh, water chip systems that will close down or not water be able chips. to really filter problem. Uh, they will also have it where you'll they'll be in like a, a hotbed of radiation. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the, uh, the reactor isn't able to filter that stuff out. So then they're just sitting in radiation and like nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. As the numbers go up, it kind of gets like weirder. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, I mean, like, oh my gosh. Um, the ones that are mentioned in like specifically in game are thir- uh, 13, mm. uh, 101 and 111. And then obviously 76. Yeah. Uh, so those are the ones that we actually have uh com- or actually see and can play in. I think there's a few that you can find within like Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 that you can actually I think get into um mm-hmm. but they're not like you don't actually like start in them. Like Fallout 3 has one of the best opening kind of missions because you actually kind of you experience growing up in the vault. Uh, yeah. and oh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's like, it's, a, it's a time lapse, obviously, but like you, mm-hmm. you go through, uh, you actually start the game as an infant and you go through like the toddler stage and then you go through like, I think it's like five or six year old and mm-hmm. then like eight year old. And like, it's really kind of a cool little kind of way of like showing what was going on and like the kind of not really creepy, but not really okay things that they were doing in the vault um and just kind of it, it really set the tone for fallout 3 uh and then fallout 4 obviously you don't really experience anything because you're in cryogenic stasis um yeah then you have like vault 106 where they release psychoactive drugs into the air filtration system 10 days after the vault was sealed so have fun with that one I think by far my favorite is one person was sealed in. Oh God! A box of puppets. <laughs> puppets? Yeah, one man in a crate of puppets. Aww. Yep. I, I was. I thought you. Him. I thought you were going to go with the Garys. No, no. I think I like the puppets. A little Garys. Better. So it's this a, is a really messed up game, guys. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. Uh, that's putting it nicely. Yeah. There's Vault 108 was all initial positions were left unfilled, allowing the terminally ill overseer Brody Jones, who is estimated to expire within 40 months of the vault ceiling, to fill them. And according to vault protocols, creating a unique experimental situation, the vault failed as a result of cloning experiments designed to replicate whole humans, instead creating, quote, Gary's. 
What? <laughs> they're they're all the same. It's it's literally just like carbon uh, copies of each other. Stormtroopers. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So the vault, the vaults actually. Uh, there's there's a number of different different stuff going on in the vaults, and again, you know. Like uh, like I had read from the the Fallout Bible Zero, uh, really honestly, they they kind of attribute it to the primary Tim, who is really kind of like think the the initial kind of creator writer. Um, they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure that he had just watched an X Files episode. Like Probably. that's that's like I mean that's <laughs> literally that's literally kind of what they're doing. Like they just basically were going over the top. They're trying to be a little bit creepy. Um, and really that was kind of it. Like that was kind of their point was, and these, and these vaults ultimately while they were being portrayed, like vault 76, uh, is really strongly here portrayed as like the bastions that are going to save humanity after the great war, or after the event of a thermonuclear attack, uh, that really wasn't the case. There was no, but there was by no means enough vaults created. I think there was only, I think quoted, there were only like 200, there's supposed to be only 200 or 220 or something like that created. So there's nowhere near enough vaults to actually, you know, save humanity. Like that wasn't the actual point. The point was the social experience, the social economical experiments that they were doing. Um, and I mean, like, a, like, you know, just what, what beard has read off the top. Like there's, they run the gamut of like kind of silly to really downright creepy. Um, but yeah, there and and again, like I said, there's there's two wick two wikis that I really refer to is Nukipedia and the Vault. Um, mm-hmm. I will I will include those links, and you can definitely dig into the different vaults we know of in game. Several like there is a long list of vaults that we do know about throughout the different titles. A lot of them you don't see in the games as much as they are mentioned in the Bible. So arguably. They're technically canonical, but they're not in-game yet. Interesting. There's, it's like, I don't know, it's just a, a lot more than I was expecting, mm-hmm. story-wise. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's there's a ton. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, so, uh, Chris, oh, sorry, the ball, the Bible that I quoted was Chris Avalone. Uh, and that was back in 2002. So that was the one of the first iterations of a of a game Bible was that particular that particular book. So where did the Bibles come from, or is this just they're just like collection the... they're just collection of documents that basically okay. they they uh, they got all the background material for the first game. It, it's a really common thing that developers will okay. do for massive or I mean not even massive games, but like for any game really you you generally will have a collection of resources and over time you know again fallout's been out for over two decades over time that collection of documents gets pretty big and so Mm -hmm. what you what you'll often see is and this isn't just game development you'll you'll have this in rpgs uh like tabletop games uh i don't Mm -hmm. know i don't know a single dm dm who doesn't have a game bible of some kind right um and obviously over 20 years that that collection gets pretty pretty big and so what you'll start what you'll start seeing is like different quote unquote iterations or different uh versions of bibles and um that's just basically 
organized organized notes that explain why the series or the game <clears throat> the game is in the state that it is currently in. Okay. Okay. I'm still spinning a little <laughs> bit. Like when you're like, oh, summary of this game. I'm like, oh, it's post apocalyptic trying to survive. You lived in a a hole for a while. I mean, that yeah, was like that. That's that, that's a that's very like, very simple summary of the game. Yeah, poor yeah, that, naive that was what, child. I know, right? <laughs> I feel My, like I've been slightly tricked into this, but at the same time, I feel like a, my education as a gamer is you had access to the ten pages I wrote. <laughs> I did, and I did look it over, and I started reading, and I went, "Oh, this is going to be one of those episodes." All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no I, 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 I seriously, I love the fallout series because, you know, beard, beard and I were kind of talking about this at the beginning. It's like, it, it's this like really unique combination of really serious stuff. Like, I mean, really serious, really dark, really heavy choices. And it, it challenge, like if you actually play it, like if you give it time and you play it as like a, an actual RPG, you can get challenged with a lot of questions that will actually like will actually call into question, you know, different things about your personality, uh, which I always I, I love. I love playing games that do that. Um, but then also there's like there's a number of just like tongue in cheek, just poking at pop culture references like Fallout 2 is got so many references to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy it's just hilarious. Like there is an actual level in which, so I don't know how familiar people are with the hitchhiker's guide, but there's a, uh, a, a character who is falling through the air and turns into a way or turns into a plant and then turns into a whale and then turns it like there's a, like a, a series and then they die. Potted plant. Yeah. So it dies. Well, there is a level in fallout Two where you will literally go inside the carcass of a whale in the middle of the wasteland and there's a potted uh there's a is it a petunia is that what it was yeah, ultimately it's a petunia. yeah uh-huh. there's a potted petunia on its skull like on the top of its skull like it, it's like it's a direct nod to the hitchhiker's guide and there's there's several of these just like thrown out there and there it's just like it's just some of the greatest collection of easter eggs really out there but yeah, and that's really where it's like, so you, you can get like this really unique and really cool combination of both like really heavy story and really silly events that just kind of make you giggle at the same time that you're like traumatized by what you just did or what mm-hmm. you just experienced. Because death claws are terrifying, ultimately. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which by the like way the crabs in skyrim no no the, those that's that's rad roaches rad roaches are just meh no death claws are like uh so you remember the dramora from oblivion like the uh-huh. upper the upper level dramora that you like you like saw and you immediately turned around and ran uh-huh. that's a that's a death claw like death okay. claws are like no they're the uh but i i completely forgot i was talking to one of the guys that I work again, one of the guys I work with, who's who's a big fan of Fallout. Uh, I completely forgot that in Fallout Two, there's a sentient Death Claw. Really? Yeah, and it's apparently like I I completely forgot about this because it's been so long since I've played Fallout Two. But like, um, apparently it's a really nice, 
nice NPC. Like, it's really, really funny. Yeah, you've never met fear until you've seen a death claw. Oh my god. Fallout 3. Fallout 3, like I said, teaches you you do not mess with death claws, like, at all. Oh, okay, okay. Icehawk has corrected me. It's, it was an entire colony of sentient death claws. That the enclave. Okay, so that was all because of the enclave and the unity, which is that's that's a whole different. That could be a whole episode in and of itself. But yeah, so welcome to Fallout. Uh, check your check your sanity at the door and enjoy yourself. That's all I got. Oh my goodness that. That's that's crazy. That's a lot. That's okay. I'm gonna need to sleep <laughs> and decompress. I will. I will be honest. I will attribute my love of solo RPG video games to Fallout Three and basically Bethesda. Really, mm-hmm. um, like Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls was obviously because of my connections with like D and D and stuff like that. As far as fantasy, um, is just I love it. But Fallout 3 was one of the ones that it was like, it, it scratched the Mad Max itch. Like, I don't, I don't know if anyone else really kind of has that, but like Mad Max um, it's just been always a really big fascination. It's got, it's, it's a very gritty variant of a dystopian future. Uh, mm-hmm. which is, it's completely different. Like, you know, you have like, you have uh, Blade Runner and then you have, uh, what's the, what's the other one? Um, uh, Ghost in the Shell and all these other like, uh, equilibriums and stuff like that, which are like dystopians, definitely. And, but they're, they're operational dystopians. And then you have Mad Max, which is just right. the complete, like, I mean, Thunderdome, like, I mean, just blood thirsty, gritty, you know, I'd argue a little bit more realistic, you know what would happen in in future if something actually did go wrong and like that's always been a a somewhat interest for me and so fallout when i found fallout you know way back when i was just always something and then i played fallout 3 on the 360 and i just i mean i like i said i've put in thousands of hours onto that game and it's just it's still one of my favorite games Dang. Yeah, yeah. Metro. Metro is another one. I need. I, I think oh, it's on the poll. A, uh, Metro Exodus is, is coming out. Yeah, Metro. The series. Not say we did. Oh my gosh! You want to talk about lawlessness? Oh, mm. oh! I love Metro for that for that purpose. Um, but yeah. So uh, yeah, if you want to hear me geek out about another one, that's that's definitely up there with with Fallout as far as like crazy lore and that's a that's all because it's i i blame the russian developer on that like it's based around russian storytelling which is crazy already brutal dark yeah makes brothers grim look easy comparison yeah the book yeah i uh, i talk in chats talking about it because metro is based off a book it's a mm. book series and yeah, it's, it's the book series is exactly that. So yeah, uh, definitely if you, if you enjoy fallout and you haven't played Metro, I would strongly recommend looking at that, that series, uh, especially since Exodus will be coming out. Uh, is that 2019, I believe 2020. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great series. Um, 
but I don't know. Do you guys have any shout outs or final comments? Several, actually. Okay. Go for it, Beard. All right. Uh, first one actually goes to uh, an artist in the community, uh, Jake Myler. Uh, he Yay. actually just got done a uh, marathon on Tuesday where he, uh, he he tends to draw pets and sometimes he'll draw them with like their, their superhero variants and whatnot uh, if requested. Mm-hmm. But he was doing it for a reason this time. Uh, the grand total was $2,189.07. Uh, U.S. dollars, I should add. Uh, which was donated to the North Valley Animal Disaster Group. Uh, He is hoping that a lot of that will go towards uh, pets and whatnot that have been displaced uh, thanks to uh, the wildfires and everything that happened in California, uh, just to assist with helping with uh, finding uh, either new homes or existing homes, etc., for those pets that may have actually been lost because of those uh, disasters. So, really good cause that he did it for. Uh, it was just the other day that he did this. Uh, it's a really good on him that he uh, he took the time to strain his wrist in order to, to raise that much cash and drop some, uh, some of our, our lovable little family that we have, our, our little pets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big shout out to him. If you're uh, not sure who Jake Myler is, Watermelon XO yeah. is his other kind of handle that he goes by. Yeah, that's he's just, the one that's who does main, all the comics. That's his main handle. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've never actually looked at Watermelon XO before, uh, I encourage you to do so. Uh, he is also one of the the nicest guys I think I've uh, I've ever had the pleasure of meeting too. Uh, so definitely, uh, if you've never checked out Jake, uh, now's your time. Uh, I have given you all the reason you need, so go do it. Nice. Uh, next actually goes to uh, a new game that I'm starting to play, which I know I'm going to get a little bit of flack for, but uh, I played the game back when it was on PC back in the day, uh, and it was called Grand Chase. Well, they just recently re-released the title on mobile, uh, and I would argue to say that it is fantastic. Uh, it is not a traditional mobile game that we have kind of come to know. They are actually very generous with what they are doing. Uh, and it's basically like, well, if you, you know, it, it's one of those games where it's like, hey, if you want to give us some cash for the game, you know, we're giving you reasons and we're being generous with what we're giving you with said cash. But we're already being generous with what we are offering you with the game itself. Uh, most of the units that you were used to from the original game, they're basically giving you heavy chances to get a hold of them over the course of the first month. Uh, so if you were a fan like I was of the original game, you might like this one. Uh, it's challenging, it's fun, uh, I definitely do enjoy it personally. Uh, and the last one goes out to the guys that we haven't heard from for a very long time on YouTube that has nothing to do with this channel whatsoever, and it is Epic Rap Battles of History. Oh my gosh, they just, yes. They just came out with the uh, the rap battle for Elon Musk and um, Mark Zuckerberg, and it was pretty on point. Uh, so definitely glad to start to hear from them again. Uh, I, I sit and I freaking listen to their stuff over and over and over in my head as it is. Uh, but I just love the fact that they have uh, that they're starting up again. 
Uh, and I guess one more late submission here, too. If you guys are thinking about uh, popping in for any other, like, Fallout lore relation or anything like that, uh, Icehawk actually reminded me, ShoddyCast is a very good YouTube channel that actually covers a lot of Fallout lore. So if you're looking for an additional source, I've watched some of their stuff. I've liked it for the most part. Uh, if you're interested in checking out any other channels, there's another one for you. Uh, so that was weird. I actually had a lot of shoutouts for the yeah, week. Yeah, you did. You're taking my spot this week because I actually really don't have much of shoutouts. Um, it was just kind of an echo about Jake's stream. He mm -hmm. did a um, he did a piece for one of my clan members for of his a Chihuahua as a Iron Lord Chihuahua, it, which is freaking adorable. That sounds it, so cute. It's so adorable. I gotta send you a copy of it just to, so you can see it because it's just just one of those things. Like you're like, oh, and even Julie was like, I want one of Buddy as a guardian, and that's saying something for the wife that does not play this game at all or right. doesn't play Destiny at all. But that's all for me, Blue. Um, I am still finalizing schedules for December, but it's looking like we're going to take the week of the 21st off and we are going to still have an episode on the following week, but it probably won't be live streamed the Friday. <clears throat> um, like I said, I'm still finalizing that though. So don't hold, don't quote me on that one, but I will get that updated in our discord as soon as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my, my house cleaning end note there. Uh, next week we will be doing an update on Mara. So that will be green's opportunity to talk to you, talk your ear off for two hours. Yay! Um, she's, she's very excited for this. Uh, I am actually. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you for letting me, uh, delve into two hours of overarching summary notes on fallout. Um, and I will get all the links I possibly can over in the show notes on our website as usual. Uh, I'll try, I'll try my best to organize them in an orderly fashion. I do encourage on the website as well. We do have the forums, uh, so that we've kind of opened that open to whoever or open that up, sorry, open that up to whoever, uh, I believe it it requires a follow on WordPress. I think we're still kind of working the kinks out on that one. Um, but if you are interested in kind of helping chip chip in with uh, various notes um, and stuff on different topics, especially extra lore stuff, please, please, definitely with extra lore stuff because we we definitely don't have the the expertise in all the games that that we have. With I, I hesitate to even say we have expertise in one game but um the, with the familiarity of of what we have with like destiny or you know the various titles that those of us individually have uh so yeah i mean all help is definitely welcome and the cool thing about that is with the forums that then naturally will create an archive of all the information we compile so you know that's nice too um mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's pretty much all i have i'm going to say we will see you next week and if we don't catch you next week you know obviously hope your end of year is not too insane and you were able to get the vacation you needed for the holidays off because yay holidays yeah. 
Holidays. Yeah. What are holidays, right? All right, guys. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. And as always, thanks thanks for tuning in. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to our episode archives can be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing partner podcasts within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.